Get ready for Crack the Customer Code, your audio guidebook for creating incredible customer journeys. Jeannie, are you wearing lenses? Uh, not presently, but I do when I'm driving. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I just I felt old just hearing that. <laughs> hey. <laughs> hey. Yeah, yeah. There's there's no way you can ever catch me, so it's okay. You're fine. I, I, <laughs> I, I feel, what, what you should have said is, Adam, you feel old doing everything. <laughs> not just hearing that comment, but anyways, you know, what we're talking about today is lenses because our buddy Steve Shapiro is on and he's got a new book out. It's called Invisible Solutions. And it is all about the problem of problems. Like how do we approach problem solving and how we don't do it very well often. And there's a lot of techniques and tips, but he uses this idea of lenses. And how many, let's say I'm going to quiz you. How many lenses are in the book, Jeannie? 25 lenses, Very which is good. awesome if you think about it. Think about how many perspectives that can bring to, you know, innovation and problem solving and all these things that we have to grapple with. It's pretty cool. Yeah. And that's, you know, one of the things Steve talks about is this idea of asking better questions, right? And that's, mm -hmm. I think, one of the challenges we're all, we just have blinders on, especially, you know, if we've been doing it a while, we've seen it. Oh, we know the solution to that, right? We've got all these blinders we have from our own experience, uh, organizational blinders, lack of information, all these cognitive biases that you and I talk about. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of things that you know, make us go on autopilot. And I think having this fresh thinking that Steve talks about is super important. Yeah, I agree. It's a great interview. I think everybody's going to get a lot from this. So get ready. Here we go. For over 20 years, Stephen Shapiro has presented his provocative strategies on innovation to audiences in 50 countries. During his 15-year tenure with the consulting firm Accenture, he led a 20,000-person innovation practice. He is the author of six books, including Best Practices Are Stupid <laughs> and Invisible Solutions. His personality poker system has been used around the world to create high-performing innovation teams. In 2015, he was inducted into the Speaker Hall of Fame. In 2017, he was a regular judge and mentor on the TLC innovation reality television show, Girl Starter. Welcome, Steve. We're so excited to have you here. Well, I'm thrilled to be here. Steve, my man, how are you? Very excited. I know we've got a new book out, Invisible Solutions, and a lot of that is about changing how we look at things. So I want to start off by asking you how changing the way we look at customer experience problems can change the solutions. Well, I think what happens is in a lot of cases, we assume that we know what the real problem is or what the real opportunity is. And the, the whole premise of the book is that we don't need to focus on solutions or answers because in most cases, we're answering the wrong question. So we need to step back and just make sure we are really focused on what matters, what's going to really make the biggest difference, what's going to have the greatest impact, and then we can solve for that. And so how do you, how do you define that idea of uh, solving for the invisible? Like, Can you go into that a little bit more? Sure. So the, the premise is that we need to spend more time thinking about the question because we could change one word in a question and have it impact the range of solutions. We can change a couple. So for example, uh, there, there's a story I tell about baggage claim. It's one of my favorite stories. And uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll sort of go to the punchline at the end where one of the, one of the things is they were trying to reduce wait time, uh, which is 
you know, how do we speed up bags? How do we slow down passengers and all of that? But then when you start looking at changing two words from how do we reduce wait time to how do we improve the wait experience, just two words in the question, well, boom, all of a sudden now we've got a completely different range of solutions. We're not talking about speeding up anything. We're actually changing the way people interact, that customer experience. Uh, and that to me is really powerful. And what's really cool about it is if you think about it, we're no longer thinking about airports. We're now talking about who are the experts in customer wait time. And I live in Orlando theme parks. That's what we do best here is having people and having them have a good time waiting. So I think that's a really fascinating thing is as you start changing the question, not only do you change the solutions and the perspectives, but you also change the places you look for solutions. Mm -hmm. You know, what that reminds me of is uh, as a parent, I remember we looked around at all these different preschools and many of them talked about, this is exactly how we get your kid to learn how to write, or this is exactly how we teach your kid to share. And the one we ended up opting into was they said, this is how we allow for kids to play in environments that encourage them to learn these things because they're going to play naturally anyway. And so instead of trying to like force a solution onto that, they worked within that and changed the whole conversation. And as parents, it was like this light bulb of, oh, okay. So we're if we think about it differently, if we look at this experience completely differently with a different lens, it actually adds so much depth and opportunity for what we were looking for. So that's interesting that you can apply it in all these different ways, right? Well, absolutely. And I love that you use the word lens because that's the, the the word that I use uh, in the book. And to me, it really is, we have blinders. We have mm -hmm. blinders on. We don't realize it, but the way we see the world is limited by the questions we ask. And therefore, we're only seeing a very, very small fraction of the opportunities in front of us. And by shifting those questions, by shifting the language, we can shift one word in the problem statement and unleash a completely different range of solutions that we hadn't considered previously. So it's very important for us to just recognize the power of words. Amen. Yeah. And one of the things, so when you're talking about these lenses, one of the questions I would have is, it's 25 lenses, correct, in the book? Correct. Yes. Right. So 25 lenses... Obviously, asking, uh, trying to apply all of them would probably be inefficient as well. Are there guidelines for sort of you know, where to go or how to, how to approach the process of using a different lens? Absolutely. Uh, so the, the 25 lenses are categorized into five different groups. So for example, if you have a problem that's big, broad, and abstract. So for example, education. Well, education is a big, broad, abstract problem. One of the clients we worked with was how do we improve the education system? So we need to deconstruct that, break it down into smaller pieces. So there's uh, lenses designed to take abstract questions and break them down. There are five lenses which do exactly the opposite. When we ask questions that are too specific, it allows you to make them less so. Uh, there are five lenses around uh, changing your perspective so that you can look at the problem from a completely different angle. There's five which are about uh, being able to switch elements. If there's multiple factors, like I said, if you're speeding up bags, you might not think to slow down passengers. Well, that's flipping the, the, flipping the story around a little bit. And then there's five more around making sure even solving the right problem, because if we're solving the wrong problem, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. And so when you approach kind of business leaders about this idea, I'm sure they sometimes throw back th these things that I hear all the time about, well, we're regulated or we can't say that. We can't uh, uh, 
shift our perspective that way because we have all these other limitations. How can we help leaders really overcome those ideas so that they can take advantage of these different perspectives? I think what happens is a lot of times we fight constraints, whether it's regulations or whether it's certain ways that the company has been structured, whatever it might be. And the reality is, and, and really one of the key messages is that constraints are our friend when it comes to innovation. What And the reason for this is if I give somebody a blank sheet of paper and said, improve your business, come up with some ideas, we've shown that without constraints, we come up with very uncreative, traditional, common types of solutions. But when we have constraints, when we have regulations, it forces the brain into a slightly smaller box. Now, I know we always say, Uh, think outside the box. But the reality is you don't want to think outside the box. You want to find a better box. The issue (laughs) is not the expansiveness of your thinking. You're just looking in the wrong place. Mm -hmm. And so I love constraints. And I really spend a lot of time with my clients, especially regulated clients, regulated clients to get them to appreciate the power of those constraints in the innovation process. Mm -hmm. That's a great point. And uh, you, you basically just went for another cliche too, because essentially you know, what you're saying is necessity is the mother of invention, right? I mean, when you have to uh, figure out a way, that's when you figure out a way. And when you have the world in front of you, it's a little bit more challenging. Well, let's apply that to customer experience for a second, because one of the things we teach when we're doing customer experience consulting or training is this idea of, you know, you're in a regulated industry. You've got all these different laws or policies and procedures if you're in a large corporation that you have to work around, how you, you know, you can work around those to create a great experience at this touch point. When you're looking at like a customer journey, how would you apply this thinking to that very, that very idea? I, I know I'm sort of asking a very general question without a specific thing to hang a hat on, but you know, just how, in general, how would you apply this type of thinking to when you've got these constraints, whether it's corporate policies and you're somebody on the front lines or a retail manager? I think the first thing is to recognize what we can influence and what we can change and what we can't. And if we spend all of our life trying to fight which is unchangeable, then that's not a good use of energy. <laughs> uh, my, my whole philosophy is I'm, I'm an engineer by background. I know a lot of people say, what, you're an innovation guy and you're an engineer. Uh, <laughs> but I, I think that's really critical is for us to recognize that innovation is a process and it is something which should be efficient. And we tend to be very inefficient. So the first thing is don't try to fight the constraints, embrace the constraints, unless they are in fact shiftable, in which case that's fine. But in a lot of cases they aren't. The second thing is then Let's design around that. And that's where the lenses become very powerful is because we can take a lens and say, okay, well, you know what? Maybe we have regulations, but they're not everywhere. So maybe we use the variations lens, which says, okay, maybe not every situation is handled the same. Maybe some of them we have to handle differently, but let's not design to handle the exception. Let's design, uh, let's not design for the exception. Let's design to handle the exception and let's build our best and most common case with a very easy, great customer experience, not worrying about those outliers. So I'm just picturing that in my head in some of the places I have been um, where if the group is, let's say, just because you brought it up here, (laughs) let's say it's a group of engineers (laughs) and you're talking about innovation, you're talking about shifting perspective. Do you find that in order for innovation to really get done in the process that you describe here, that you need people from all over the organization, 
or is this possible for one people to one person to really be a change agent in this regard and kind of how do you deal with the different personality types and the different ways everybody's brain works when you bring them together to go through this process so i do believe that innovation requires uh, people from all different areas of expertise and all different personalities. And so I'll break it down this way. If you think about innovation as a four-step process, it, it basically starts with an issue, problem, challenge, or opportunity. It does not start with the idea. It starts with the issue, problem, challenge, or opportunity that if we could solve this is going to move the needle for the organization. Well, the people that are going to be best at that are the analytical uh, bean counters, the people who have the data, the people who have the information, the fact finders, because they're going to have all of the demographic, psychographics, and everything we need. So that's the starting point. Once we have that, now we're going to start trying to develop solutions. Well, the people who are best at developing solutions are going to have a different mindset. They might be what we consider to be more creative. They're good dot connectors. They're very good at taking a solution from one industry and bringing it to another. So that's a different personality, but it's a different step of the process. Of course, we need to implement. That's a different set of skills. Program management, project managers, being able to get the work done is critical. And if we don't have those people in the right place during the innovation process, it falls apart. And then we need people who are really good at engaging the hearts and minds of people because innovation is by people for people. So we need all these different styles. And we tend to think of innovation as being for the privileged few who sit on high mountains wearing long white robes handing down the gospel for the future. And that's not what innovation <laughs> is about. It is a team sport. Mm -hmm. I love that analogy too, because I think it's so important to bring everybody together. And the times I get frustrated is sometimes when a leader is hoarding that information um, because they want to be the they want to be the person in the white robes right? <laughs> like who comes down and says, look what I did. And it's like they forgot half the company or they forgot half the data or didn't understand the insights because they didn't include the right mix of people. So that's a really important point. And I'd like to build on what you just said, because I, I think this is really critical, is a leader is not someone who has the answers. Mm -hmm. A leader is someone who has the questions that allows the rest of the organization to also ask better questions. So, you know, we, we do have this mantra, don't bring me problems, bring me solutions. And I think that's bad advice. The better advice is bring me bigger, more important, meteor differentiating problems. If I want the best, most important, well-framed problems, because if you give me those, now I have something to work with. I know I have something of value. Ideas are a dime a dozen. Well-framed problems takes time and discipline, and we can then rally around finding solutions as an organization rather than one person thinking that they have all the answers. Yeah, I want to zero in on a word you mentioned there, uh, which was uh, differentiated, because I know you talk about the intersection between these ideas and differentiation, right? How organizations can differentiate themselves. So t tell us a little bit about that. So differentiation in a nutshell is the reason why someone does business with you and not someone else. Uh, and I think it's you know critical to understand that it doesn't mean being unique. Uh, it has to be something which you know people are going to want. It's got to stand the test of time, and it's got to be understandable. There's a number of different factors. I have five Ds that I use to describe differentiation. But the key is it's the reason people do business with you and not someone else. It's also important to recognize that not everything you do is differentiating. Some things you do are core. And what I mean by core is core is work that you do as an organization that you have to get right. If you get it wrong, 
you will lose your customers. But it doesn't mean you have to be the best at it. These are the table stakes. So if you get your core wrong, someone won't do if you do if you do your core right, people aren't going to do business with you. But if you get your core wrong, it's a reason why people won't do business with you. So if you're staying in a hotel, look, we have certain expectations, a comfortable bed, a clean bathroom, no bed bugs, whatever it might be. I mean, these are the things, these are the core. This is what we value as customers and guests. We have to get these right, but nobody's going to stay with you because you don't have bed bugs. No, it's going to be because you have an incredible customer service or because you have a a particular uh, food and beverage, like a specialty whiskey shop in your hotel, whatever it is, there's different reasons. And those differentiators are the reason why people do business with you. Mm -hmm. Well, Adam and I would like if they had a specialty bourbon shop. Mm, (laughs) There you go. That would be nice. And by the way, (laughs) here's a website to never go to unless you want nightmares. It's like bedbugreport.com. No, no, thank you. It's the worst thing ever. Just don't go there. (laughs) My, My lens is for you to not apply that lens. (laughs) <laughs> so, uh, yeah, well, thank you so much, Steve. I want to ask you one last question. Uh, other than buying invisible solutions and applying all of its principles, what's like one uh, sort of parting idea or concept you could leave our listeners with about how to think differently about problems? I think, you know, it's one of the lenses is called the performance paradox. And the performance paradox says that the more you focus on the goal, sometimes the less likely you are to achieve that goal. And I think this, the same thing is true when it comes to solving problems. The more you focus on the solution, sometimes you are less likely to find that solution. So the key to finding better solutions is to step back, pause, and make sure you're asking the right questions. Or to paraphrase something that Einstein reputedly said, if I had an hour to save the world, I would spend 59 minutes defining the problem, one minute finding mm-hmm. solutions. And from my experience, most organizations are running around spending 60 minutes solving problems that aren't important or they're solving problems that aren't framed properly and therefore are difficult to solve. Wow, that's a really good way to wrap this up. And I got a lot out of this. I'm sure our listeners did too. So how can people find out about you and Invisible Solutions? So you can find out about the book at InvisibleSolutionsBook.com. Uh, There's some cool free resources and videos and the full baggage claim story is there. So I think you'll find that entertaining. And from there, you'll be able to navigate to me uh, quite easily. Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us, Steve. It was really a pleasure to have you on the show. It was my pleasure. Thanks so much. Thanks, Steve. So I really liked how Steve really walked us through kind of this whole way that you can shift your perspective, not just one way, but several different ways. And I think that's something that a lot of people struggle with. Um, And I've seen, I mean, we talked about how sometimes in regulatory industries or industries with a lot of limitations, it's really hard to get people to shift that perspective because they're so, they feel kind of tied down by those regulations. Like, well, what, why does it matter to change my perspective if we can't do it anyway? And I think what I loved, what he said the most was, you know, you need to find a a different box (laughs) instead of thinking outside the box. That's something that any one of us can really apply and ask different questions and get to these different solutions. So I really think it's interesting to think about how anybody can apply this in both work and life. For sure. And one of the things I wish I had asked him, it would be interesting when we talk about these constraints, 
is, you know, people are fundamentally lazy. And I don't mean that as a, like, a, <laughs> no, no, let me, let me uh, dig in. On the world, thing. according to Adam. No, no, it's not, not from the social way we use the term, but from mm-hmm. the, the biological way we're designed mm-hmm. to, to minimize effort and look for shortcuts. So when we find constraints and you, I've seen this, you know, in frontline training, we've seen this, you know, in customer experience design, often when we find constraints, it's just an easy excuse mm-hmm. to not go further. Right. That's it, very it, true. It's a, it's a, it provides the out to not do the hard work of thinking about the challenge and the problem and how can we make it better? And this, we run into this all the time in customer experience. So yeah, I would, I would have been interested to ask him about that because I think that's a dynamic from an organizational standpoint we have to realize is that uh, don't let the, don't let it become an excuse as far as the problem solving, but don't let it become an excuse as far as the effort as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So go forth, everybody. Think about your lens and how to change it and how to ask these big, different, better questions. And one question I have, Adam. Is it a better question, Jeannie? I, I hope so. You know, do you think our customers, our listeners rather, do you think they know that they have the power to rate and review our show? You know, I think my better question is going to be, how can we possibly let them know? that they have the power. Oh, good question. I, I think I can answer that one. <laughs> Go for it, Jeannie. So if you feel compelled, if you really like our show and you want other people to find us, uh, please go to where you listen to podcasts, whether that's Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you use. I love uh, Podcast Addict for Android. That's my favorite so far. Um, and really uh, get in there. See if you can leave us a little review. It really does help. And you know what? If we like it, we might we might share it on the air. We tend to do that on the air waves here or whatever you call it when you're podcasting streaming, I guess. Anyway. <laughs> on the talking box. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. We really do appreciate you listening to Crack the Customer Code. Crack the Customer Code is a proud member of C-Suite Radio. So be sure to check out all the business content at c-suiteradio.com and c-suitetv.com. I'm Jeannie Walters. You can learn more about me, our journey mapping programs, CX training and speaking, as well as our 21-day customer experience challenge at experienceinvestigators.com. And I'm Adam Fork, and you can learn more about me and how we can help you win with experience using customer service training, keynote speaking, and customer experience advisory. Until next time, take care of yourself. And take care of your customers. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.